Hey everybody, welcome back to another film podcast. I'm Tierney. I'm Matt. <laughs> and I'm Colin. <laughs> and this week we're going to be discussing, uh, I said disgusting, we're going to be discussing There Will Be Blood. Oh yes, bless it. T-W-double-B. <laughs> right, as everybody's <laughs> always called it, T-W-W-B. <laughs> <clears throat> yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm very familiar with that. Acronym, mm-hmm. yeah, T double U double B. That's actually so what's funny. Thub, thub. Yeah. No, no, no. T U U B B thub. Thub double U. You said double U double B. What's funny is that is that end at the end of a a birth control pack it just says T W B B. And that's when you really? get your period. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, is that a real fact? <laughs> no, man! <laughs> oh, there will be blood. I see. <laughs> oh, that took me way too long. It oh, sure goodness. did. I'm so glad it did, though, because it was really funny on its own, but then it just, like, really elevated. <laughs> <laughs> That's like in Fleabag when uh, when when uh, Kristen Scott Thomas says, "What's your favorite period film?" and she goes, "Carrie." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great line. Oh boy! Anyway, <laughs> do you want to take us away, Colin? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we've been starting all of these podcasts talking about our um, our personal relationship to each film. <clears throat> so. Um, I first saw this movie when it was in theaters. Um, I didn't really know much about it. I was in college at the time and my, the, my, the town where I went to college didn't even have a movie theater. So my friend and I had to drive 20 minutes to find it. And when we left the theater, I was like, yeah, not for me. And in the 20 minutes that it took us to get back to our college, I was like, is this movie perfect? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I had a real, real turnaround on this guy, um, like very quickly. And then when it came out on DVD, I went and bought it like literally that day and just could not stop watching it. Uh, this movie is actually, I think a perfect film. Um, so yeah, my notes are fairly sparse because I don't really have much to say other than this movie is great. But uh, I'm excited to see where the conversation goes. Sweet. My uh, personal relationship with it, I genuinely don't remember, like, I think I watched it for the first time at home. I may have bought the DVD first and then watched it or re-rented it. I think I bought it, though, because that was the era when I was buying every movie on DVD, much to my parents' dismay. Um but there will be blood. I watched. I think I didn't watch like any of the Oscar nominees before the ceremony, and I watched this after. And I think before No Country for Old Men. All of this to say, I watched this movie, and I was blown away. And then I watched No Country for Old Men, and I was <laughs> so angry <laughs> that this didn't win in everything that I was like, I hate No Country for Old Men. I hate the Coen Brothers. I hate everything. I was very upset, um, and mostly I'm still inconsolable, because I think this is the best movie of uh, the past 
50 years. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a perfect film. So I first saw it when it came out in theaters. Uh, I was the old, so I'm the oldest for like my school grade. So I was the only one of my friends who was over 17, so I could see it because it's rated R. Uh, so I on Friday night I went to the movies by myself. Uh, pretty sure I wore like a disguise of another school's like sweatpants, so people wouldn't <laughs> recognize me. <laughs> Uh, and I loved it, and I remember wanting to talk about it, but no one had seen it. Uh, and I confess the things that drew me to the movie were not the movie, like, I didn't know much about the movie, I knew it was based on the book Oil, which was part of the reason that I went, and the other reason I went was, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I mean, he's a great actor. You can't, you can't beat him. But also, I did have like a a little bit of a crush on him, uh, and little did I know that I would soon realize that oh, the man who directed this yep, movie, yep. is the love of my life. Yep, there it is. <laughs> so that was gonna uh, be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think that's all I had. Uh, I think that's all I wrote. Let me just double check. Period for the entire show. That's all. That's, that's all you yeah. wanted to share. Those are the only notes I have. Perfect film. Yeah. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are the only ones. I remember at the time thinking this movie is very funny, and no one in the movie theater was laughing. I agree. Yeah. So I think it's hilarious. I think, so I had two two questions. One, um, I mean, we've all now fallen in love with PTA, some more so than others. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had seen Boogie Nights before I saw this movie, mm-hmm. but I had no idea that they were the same director. And it was like well after the fact that I found that out. And I was like, oh shit. Like, and that, I, at that time, those were the only two of his films that I'd seen. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, I am going to pay attention to this dude forever based exclusively off of these two movies. So I was curious if you, if either of you had any relationship to PTA before this movie or if this, I mean, Tierney, you kind of mentioned this was probably the start of it, but yeah, this was the first movie I'd seen. Um, and then I actually saw the same thing happen with the master. None of my friends wanted to see it. So I went and saw it alone as well. Uh, and then like, I think by that point I was like, this dude's pretty rad. And then I went back and watched all of his. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I was just trying to remember if I had seen this. I think what actually happened is I saw this movie at least a couple years after the year that it came out, um, which I think was 2007. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at that point I knew it existed and didn't watch it. And I think I saw Magnolia and Boogie Nights and potentially punch drunk love all before there will be blood. Um, definitely, I'm I'm pretty sure Magnolia and Boogie Nights because I was like obsessed with his ensemble movies, and so I think I remember this movie being like, oh, like what is this new like very uh, not f- like colorful and whimsical and like strange. Uh, it's it's a very like straightforward period piece with so many in, like specific PTA flares that I think if you've seen his earlier stuff and then you watch this, it feels like a big shift in gear, but 
there's still so many things that make it exactly what you love about a PTA movie. And so I think that was my relationship. I can't remember because it was an era where I was like intaking a lot of new movies as a college student. Naturally, that's when it happens. Um, and I can't remember if this was one of the early ones or like later on when I knew it better. Yeah, I so I guess then the other thing I was gonna say I did not think this movie was funny the first several times I saw it like there are a couple things that like are funny but I didn't think it was like laugh out loud hilarious but the more it's dark I was super dark for sure but the more I watch it my jam (laughs) (laughs) um the every time I watch it again it just gets funnier and funnier so I, I like I think that's you know, Matt, you mentioned this when we were talking about it the other day. Um, like, it's uh, it's an underrated feature of this movie. Just, like, mm-hmm. how funny everything is. And if... the And so, like... So, Matt gave us a, a prompt where he was like, let's write down all of the hilarious lines to discuss. <laughs> but one thing I found watching it is some of the funniest things are, like, the little, like, eye rolls. Yes. And, like eyebrow wiggles that Daniel Day-Lewis does that are, like, so condescending yes. of Eli Sunday that are so <laughs> funny. Yeah, I think, and that's really the the only humor that I think exists in the movie is the moments of tension between Daniel and Eli are so thick. Like, the tension is so palpable and both of them hate each other so much that every time Daniel has to, like, try to not just like rip his face off is so much effort and you can see all of the effort in the yeah like you're saying the subtleties of daniel day lewis's performance of like swallowing and moving his head and saying stuff even like that's fine yep yes that's fine and you're just like oh my god (laughs) he wants nothing more than to like plunge his hand into his ribcage and just rip out Eli's heart. That, and it starts, like, right away, too, when he's at dinner trying to was, get the mm-hmm. land. I he's was just like, gonna say it. thank you, Eli. Like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> that whole first dinner sequence at the Sunday Ranch is just all that. Like, the entire time. Like, he comes in, he's like, alright, I'm just gonna make this deal. I'm gonna totally undercut what this land is worth. Haha, <laughs> fuck them. And, like, Eli just kind of, like, jumps in. And, like, he... Daniel just, like, keeps trying to, like, just get done and get the fuck out. And Eli just keeps making it more and more complicated. And Daniel just keeps losing more and more patience. And, like, as that scene goes on, it just gets so funny. <laughs> like, just, yeah. It's, Even yeah. when he <clears throat> first sees Eli and Eli comes over with the firewood, he just stares at him yeah. for, like... 10 seconds just i mean he's clearly like is this paul right but he's just staring at him in like an aggressive way and it's so funny and it's i think there's like so much going on in his head of yeah is this paul if it's a twin what a difference in demeanor between the two and Mm -hmm. like and that's one of the most interesting like characters that never comes back is paul because he's so confident and he's so ready to make the deal that even, like, the, the veiled threats that uh, Daniel Plainview makes, he's like, yeah, if it's not there, you can come back and get more. And he's like, okay, like, I'm going to take your word for it. And mm-hmm. to see that level of confidence in the opposite direction of a man who's so 
fixated on religion that like it's everything anti Daniel is so fun to watch and be like, why can't you be more like your brother <laughs> and like your brother so much? I oh, also- the prayer after dinner too is also like one of the first big yeah. like, what are you doing? Why are you holding my hand? <laughs> he just like immediately pulls his hand away. It's so funny. But I but mean, at I first think that he's goes- like, what is this handshake? And then he's like, oh my god, it's a prayer. Yeah. Well, I think that goes to, like, what you were saying, Tierney, the, that was the first, like, laugh out loud moment for me. Like, there were, like, I watched it alone in my apartment last night, and, like, there were moments where I was, like, chuckling, but that was the first time I actually, like, had a burst of laughter when, like, and it's just physical. There's no line at all, but it's just, like, Daniel just pulling his hand away, because he's just so not interested in what Eli's doing. I just burst out laughing. I was like, this is so funny. (laughs) I left a, a little bit before then when they go quail hunting and they're just shooting at random shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps going, I love to hunt quail. I love to hunt quail. <laughs> I'll give them quail prices. Uh, uh, that's so good. Do we want to just keep talking about funny things? Well, I do want to talk about... Uh, before we go like all in on just funny lines, because I feel like that's going to be a decent portion of this podcast today, can we just talk about the balls of PTA to start this movie and for 15 minutes there's no dialogue? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, there's very little score. Like of the 15 minutes, like there's probably like five that are accompanied by some sort of music. But mm-hmm. a lot of it is just completely silent with no real dialogue. Like, you hear a little bit of background at one point uh, when Daniel's, like, selling the silver. But for the most part, 15 minutes of this movie, you're just started and you're just like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. I-, I wrote down that <laughs> the opening scene is just watching a man go about his life, which is the same way that Phantom Thread opens. You're just watching a man get dressed for his day. That's true. Oh, nice. And I thought that was great. Uh, the soundtrack, though, there isn't much of it in the beginning, but it, what there is, ratchets so much tension. Oh, oh yeah, the and just creates this like underlying threat of violence, which I think is interesting that it's not just violence on people, but also like violence to the earth. Oh, you for know. sure. Anyway, that was yeah. That like, it's the Johnny Greenwood sto- score that starts the movie with like, mm-hmm. like this like droning like uncomfortable noise that is only repeated shortly after when he's like dragging himself injured and it's the same shot of those three hills and it is like you said there's so much tension just built into that like noise and that isolation and it reminded me too of uh inglorious bastards starting with a half an hour prologue basically of just like you're going to see the main mover of the movie alone just like doing work and like drilling (laughs) like and in the most interesting way like i I was also thinking of buster scruggs uh which is on netflix and like uh tom Waits sequence of like trying to find gold (laughs) is similar yeah and not quite as interesting it's interesting but like there's something about the way that daniel day lewis is like so in character and this the whole operation that he's doing is so like mysterious of like, we don't know how to drill oil. We don't know what it's supposed to look like. And so like climbing 
down into this hole is weird and scary and like smelly sludging through yeah and just imagining like the thick smell of gas mm-hmm. is like there's so much that is interesting in these silent 15 minutes that it doesn't even feel like 15 minutes you're like oh naturally it has to start here we have to like really get to know him and how like resilient he is against all these like small problems and calamities that hit him mm-hmm. for sure it's a great sequence yeah i mean like you obviously notice that like nobody's talking but like the, i actually had to turn on like the like the timer on my like my blu-ray player to be like wait how long mm-hmm. has it been like and that's how, like because you're right it doesn't feel like 15 minutes and like you know it watching an entire movie of him doing that like would certainly rob us of some really gold lines <laughs> later but like holy shit like that whole first 15 minutes is completely mesmerizing <laughs> and i i love like a lesser director you know like if they were to start that movie like start the movie the same way like obviously when he's doing it all alone he's not going to be talking to anybody but once he has like a little bit more of an operation i love that pta is like no i'm going to commit to this bit a little bit more and we're just going to like have these men that are all working together just like nod or like grunt at each other and not actually talk to each other i also love like mm-hmm. you spend 15 minutes with this man and he says not a word and then the second he opens his mouth, you're like, that's exactly what he would sound like. Oh. And, mm-hmm. it, and like, not only is the accent, but, like, the timbre of Daniel Day-Lewis's voice is so different than his natural voice that it's, like, you kind of forget that it's him. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where you're just like, that's, that's Daniel Plainview. That's who that is. And it's like, that probably wasn't in the script. Or anything that's just, he was like, oh, this is how this person would talk. And then you watch it and you're like, yeah, that's exactly how that person would talk. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, there's so much, like, physicality to it. I mean, like, I, this is not a novel mm-hmm. thing to say, but, like, Dan, you're you're right. Daniel Day-Lewis is not in this movie. Like, this is, a this is like, a documentary on Daniel Plainview. Like, right. Like, like oh, he yeah. is that person. Like, the, the physicality, the mannerisms, the voice, everything. Like, it is just, like, we are watching, like, somehow PTA went back in time and filmed this man and, like, mm-hmm. put it on our screens in 2007. It's unreal. He won for this, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. This is one of the best acting performances maybe ever. ever. Yeah. 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 I was uh, texting a friend of mine, and I was like, he's so good in this movie. And she's like, I mean, he's good in every movie, which, like, is fair, but it's just, this movie is on a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know who else is really good? Oh, wait, no, you go first, Matt. I was just going to say, imagine PTA who's a perfectionist meeting Daniel Day-Lewis, who's also a perfectionist, and being like, this is what I'm thinking. And him being like, but this is what I'm thinking. And both of them just being like, your ideas are so good. Thank I mean, so that's that's basically how Phantom Thread started. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do a movie about? Sewing. Okay. And his name, his name is Reynolds Woodcock. And then they both giggle. They're both like, yes, yes, this is good. <laughs> Uh, no, what I was going to say is, you know who else is really good, uh, but you hate him? Eli Sunday. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. I hate him so much. Everything about him, I hate. <laughs> there are yeah. no redeeming qualities to that man. 
This, oh my god. Oh. Yeah. His, his <laughs> I uh I love this like this is the scene that I remember being like this movie is so funny is when he walks up into the office and sits down oh my just god. to tell Daniel that I'm going to o- open with a prayer at at the at the well and then the correction of the Derek. Yeah. The Derek. It's <laughs> so funny that he's like ah my god like I just don't want you to be talking to me right now and, and he goes just, uh, what time is good for you eli <laughs> <laughs> that'll be fine that'll be fine just so sarky thank you eli what i also I that, like is that the same scene too where he goes what brought you here and he goes the good lord's guidance <laughs> <laughs> probably <yeah. laughs> i also like that eli in that scene that you were talking about matt where he he's just like just like blowing smoke up his own ass while he's telling Daniel what Daniel's going to say to introduce him. <laughs> he just yeah. starts by being like, it's like, Oh, proud son of these lands. And then it balloons into this like extravagant, like I'm the greatest that's ever lived. And Daniel's just like, okay, I'll do that. And then just savagely does not do that. <laughs> the greatest snub of all time. <laughs> To his he sister. Brings, yeah, he brings his little sister over and says the same shit and then is like, all right, bye. Which, <laughs> at the end of that scene, I I don't know if I'd like ever fully appreciated it before, but you have, uh, HW's already told him, like, that Mary's dad hits her if she doesn't pray. And then he buys her that dress and then he's like, kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm, I will support you. I'm here for you. And then he just goes, no more hitting, Mary. Now go play some more and don't come back. Which you're like, funny line. And then it moves and in focus is the dad yep. right yeah. there. <laughs> Incredible. And they just this like, he is made up of those moments. I'm just like, oh. They just, like, eye each other for a little while, and you're just like, oh, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so good. And the... I don't think I ever appreciated that the musical cue of the opening of the Derek is the same cue as the very end of the movie. And so Mm -hmm. it's two times in which Daniel has, like, once, like, uh, metaphorically clubbed him over the head and then at the end <laughs> actually clubbed him over the head but it's like these two great moments of like I win I'm gonna get what I want and you don't get to get anything and it's like that cue has so much in it that when you just watch everyone leave Eli and him looking at the Derek and at Daniel like okay I'm gonna remember this <laughs> that music is so fun just to be like bah, 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 bah. It's so joyous too. Yeah. And they're the that's the only song that's not Johnny Greenwood. It's Brahms. Ooh. I think it's Brahms. I could be wrong. Uh but yeah, and it's so like majestic. <laughs> and it's just like Eli getting fucked. <laughs> so good. I love that this movie uh, is just like those two perpetually holding grudges against each other. <laughs> And, like, each one doing something else that just, like, ratchets up the level of grudge. But mm-hmm. every single time Daniel wins because Eli's a fuck. So, like... <laughs> I think... I, and I think that's the interesting uh, thing, too, to, like, approach Daniel's motivation as... The line that he says himself where he's like, I have a competition in me. I want no one to win but me. Like, him... all Everything he does is a competition. And even 
framing things like HW and his like brother, which we'll get to later, everything is whether or not he's winning. And as soon as he feels like he's not, he changes the game or gets three uh, steps in front of the person so that he can like fuck them over later. But like that drive is so fascinating to watch every time you realize that like he's not winning like the look on his face is like okay i'm gonna i gotta do something i gotta win (laughs) oh Uh, it's so good hw is also super like most of the times in like movies when there's kids you're like that's a child acting but hw you forget that's part of where it's like it feels like a documentary because he even the kid is like so well behaved and so Mm -hmm. it's such a good performance where you're like oh that's an actual child this is real life yeah and you can also tell that like like daniel definitely raised this child (laughs) yes like it is very much like you know like a normal kid would be like running around and having fun but like hw is very much not that like he's like he is it's ingrained in him that he is just going to be like standing beside daniel forever (laughs) And that's it. Like, that's his whole role. But, like, he does it so well that you're just like, yeah, that checks out. (laughs) And even, like, I'd actually be interested to hear your guys' opinions on this. So when he lights the house on fire, I think it's because he knows that that's not his brother. Oh, yeah, that's how I read it, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Which is funny because that he's, he's seeing what Daniel can't see and, like, is... It's like the son is even better than the the dad. Yeah, I think that story, and which I think it's so, it almost feels kind of separate from the rest of it. Um, but so, uh, such an episode in the life of Daniel Plainview. But like, uh, because he's deaf and he can't communicate really, he just like decides to take matters into his own hands and light that bed on fire. Mm-hmm. But. Then you see, like, Daniel sends him away. Like, immediately after that, he sends him away in order to, like... I'm sorry, what, is he, what does he What does he do? Yeah, he doesn't send him away. He doesn't send him away. What's, what, he, he abandons him, right? Would you say? Well, he abandons his boy. He abandons his child. <laughs> um, sorry. But, he, I mean, he literally does abandon him on the train. Yes. But yeah. it's like... He he sees it's this so heartbreaking. Like, yeah, and he, I think HW is such an interesting character in relation to Daniel because it see it really does seem, and maybe this is just skillful acting, but it does seem like he does love HW, mm-hmm. yeah, and is hurt by his pain and also by like at the end his to him betrayal. Yeah, um, but him sending him away is hard, but it's. It's because he's like, well, I'll just work with my brother then and he can get an education somewhere else. But, like, I can't do both. And then him bringing back uh, HW later, I read as, like, okay, actually, you were right. I wasn't seeing it, so I'm going to bring you back in because I want you back in my life. Like, I need somebody else to be my partner. And the Mm -hmm. pain that he has reading the diary after he kills Henry um, is... I think of uh, one of like total abandonment and of uh, solitude because he has no family 
whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's not his real son. It wasn't his <clears throat> real brother. His real brother's dead. His mom is dead. His dad is dead. Nobody is his family. And, like, the pain of realizing that next to the campfire is so... Uh, it's so different from the rest of Daniel Plainview that we see in the movie, but it seems, like, natural that that's his character, too. And once he sends <coughs> H.W. away, like, even once H.W.'s, like, ears blow out, you start to see, especially if we're going to put it in terms of competitiveness, you start to see him slip. And mm-hmm. that's where I feel like he gets more and more ruthless as he gets further and further apart from H.W. Yeah. Well, and so by the end, he's like a fucking monster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting to watch his humanity kind of like ebb and flow, because I think you're right. Like there are moments where it's like, I think he genuinely does care about HW, but then there are other moments where it's like, does he though? You know, like when HW comes back, you, I, you can read that as, like, oh, he actually wants H.W. to come back because he misses him. And, like, what you were saying, he doesn't have that, like, familial connection. But I think it's also a fair reading of this is, like, like Eli just, like, totally publicly shamed him in his church. And now this is, like, a way for him to, like, put on a good face that, like, yeah, you know, like, I did say, I, like, I did say that I'm a sinner. I did say that I've abandoned my boy. I did do all of these things. So I'm going to bring him back. So it's like, is he actually happy that HW is back? Or is he just doing this to appease anybody who might have seen that, like, show in church? Like, it's really hard to say. And I think, like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> watching Daniel Day-Lewis thread that needle is really fascinating. Because I think from moment to moment even in that first scene where they like reconnect you like the first time you run, they like run and they hug each other. You're like, Oh yeah, this is definitely, th- this is, this feels right. But then like later that same scene, you're just like, I think he just brought him back to like use him a, as like a selling point. Like I am a family man. This is a family business and B to try and keep up airs. So it's, it's really interesting to watch that play out over the rest of the movie. And then of course it ends the way it does where he's just like, you're a bastard from basket by. It's like, oh shit. I love yeah. when he does come back and HW just chases him and hits him. Yeah. It's a great yeah. scene. And he's like, okay, okay, that's fine. But like, and I think that those moments are the ones where you do feel that Daniel does care about him. Mm-hmm. Cause he could like grab his hands or like, even when he lights the fucking place on fire Daniel doesn't hit him. He yeah. just like scoops him up and holds him even <coughs> when he's like w- like flailing. Mm-hmm. And so Daniel doesn't believe in abuse. Like he doesn't want to hurt HW and even in the end when HW is a man, there's like no physical contact between him and his son. And uh my take is that HW is the actual winner of the entire game that Daniel is playing. Like, everybody that's on this board that's playing this game with Daniel of, like, Bandy's tracked being this big thing to get because it's, like, important to get ahead of the the Sundays. But HW learns everything that Daniel knows, marries somebody from the Sunday family, which is probably drives him, Daniel, crazy, and goes to mine in Mexico, and because he's deaf he gets the last word in the fight of saying, I'm so glad I have none of you in me. 
and because he is deaf, he can't hear him yelling bastard on basket. So like mm-hmm. nothing, it's, it's so meaningless to him, whatever Daniel is saying that like, I think that's what incites the final moments of the movie is that like HW one, he like made it out and is doing great on his own and is a good man mm-hmm. who's not a bad like human being. He's just part of the business. And so like, that's such an interesting character arc of like, I've learned so much from you in good ways and bad, and I am choosing to separate from you if you're not going to give me your blessing because I don't, I don't care. Like, I can be my own person now. Yep. He, he definitely wins the game. Uh, Daniel gets exactly what he wanted, mm-hmm. which is to earn enough money he can get away from everyone. But then he fucking hates it. Like, he looks so also, miserable. In, <laughs> like, in some ways, he doesn't get away from everyone because Eli comes back. <laughs> that, I mean, so there's so much of the movie, but I feel like the final moments are so rich that, like, if we wanted to, we could talk about it now. What are, what are your feelings on talking about the ending, or should we talk more about the other parts of the movie first? I would say the there is one scene that is ripe with comedy mm-hmm. and that is the scene after hw comes back when he's in the restaurant and yes. the union oil men oh. come in and everything about it is perfect between like the napkin over the head to talk <laughs> yeah to to him saying to to what's his name like tillard that one night i'm gonna come come to you while you're sleeping and i'm going to cut your throat and he just goes mm-hmm. what <laughs> Another great one I wrote down is, don't be thick in front of me, Al. I wrote that one down, too. <laughs> and then the an, another one, it goes, that makes you a fool, Tilford. And then he just goes, yes. And he goes, so he doesn't stutter at all. And then Daniel just goes, shh, 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 yes. <laughs> and then the final part of that, which is just probably the best line in the whole movie when he goes, excuse me, gentlemen. Excuse him, gentlemen. <laughs> Those oh, are all of my notes. So good. We've gone through all of my notes now. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down, I also wrote down, don't be thick in front of me, Al. Uh, uh, excuse me, gentlemen. Excuse him, gentlemen. Uh, just incredible lines. Uh, what were the other things that I... Um, I want the blood. Well, okay, we could talk about the abandon my boy uh, scene because I do think that's like a loaded scene as well. Uh, but him, the delivery of I want the blood is so <laughs> it's just, he's, he's going through the motions. He's, he's saying what he has to do. And it's yeah. so funny. And his acting is so good where he's like, yes, I want the blood. I, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I want the blood. Uh huh. And then as so, soon as they're like, and you've abandoned your boy, that's the thing that he's like, Okay, fine. I'll say it. But like it's so good. Doesn't I think he... he actually like he's like fully <sighs> crying when he's talking about abandoning HW. Well, that's I think that's why it's it's like such a powerful scene because it does start off as like basically pure comedy because it's just mm-hmm. like level of disinterest and disdain for Eli is so incredibly apparent with everything he's saying until that moment where HW comes into play and then all of a sudden it just like flips on a dime and he's like, Oh no, now this is for real. Um, and you're just like, Oh shit. That's, that's the thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think too his delivery of that isn't so much of him feeling like anguish about it, and more he can't believe that he. I mean, because if you look at it as like a big game, that's the only time that he's really been pinned in a corner, and he has to do what other people want. Which like we've already seen how he reacts to uh, the Union Oil or the Western uh, Oil people giving him parenting advice. And then so being forced by Eli, of all people, to admit that he abandoned his son, I think the amount of disdain that he has before that and after, I think the rage scream of, I've abandoned my boy, is because it's like, okay, fine, like, just shut up, I don't want to talk about this, (laughs) I can't believe I have to do this, and for you, of all people, and it's so, like, palpable, the amount of, like, rage... And I think, I didn't even think of that, but like you said, Colin, that feeling of being pinned and cornered with that as a, as a weakness is why he probably goes like, okay, bring it back. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this again. I can't be vulnerable in front of people. So we're just going to, we're going to bring it back. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. But like that, <laughs> that scene uh, is also him realizing like, if this is what I need to do to get the bandy tracked so that I can later yeah. fuck over the Sundays, fine. And that's why he's so, like, joyful at the end when he's just getting slapped and baptized. He's just savoring it all to be like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, it's all worth it. I'm just gonna save this up, and then I'm gonna really fuck you over, Eli. Like, I can't <laughs> wait to get back at you for this. And it's so fun to watch him get slapped because it's a surprise to him mm-hmm. and also just adding to the fire Mm-hmm. And he's just like, okay, all right, let's go all in. Fine. <laughs> it's also so great, if we do want to go to the end now, is that it's Bandy who's making him do this and Eli who's baptizing him or whatever the fuck he's doing. And then at the end, it's Eli who comes and it's like, the Bandy track is for sale. And he's like, oh, you thought <laughs> that you won when really I won. So yeah. that was what, in my notes, uh, According to Matt's edict, I was just writing down things that made me laugh. The hardest I laughed in the entire movie last night was right after he gets Eli to uh, admit that he's a false prophet. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that God is a superstition. God is a superstition. <laughs> he gets Eli to like that same, like almost that same level that Daniel's at when he screams that he abandoned his boy. And then just immediately nonchalantly is like, those areas have been drilled. <laughs> it's so, so fucking funny. <laughs> he just like completely... He just keeps eating his cold steak. Just, just embarrassed the fuck out of Eli on like the, the highest possible stage. And is just like, yeah, no. I just, I yeah. laughed for like a solid 30 seconds last night. <laughs> it's so good. And that's like, genuinely, that laughter is so prevalent throughout the movie of just like, oh, this is like so wild to imagine being in this room with these people and watching that moment and being like, oh. <laughs> oh. And I, this time around, I read it as when he realized, because he's like snoring, and then as soon as he's like, it's Eli, Daniel. The snoring stops and he starts to wake up. And I think it's because he's like, oh, 
now it's time for the other shoe to drop. And when he goes like, I'm going to go make us some drinks, Daniel stands up, takes a pull from his flask, doing this like little foot dance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's out of the joy of knowing like, oh, I'm about to ruin his life. I'm so like, this is all I have left. My son has left me. I thought I was, I thought I lost. I thought like the game was over, but here is the one person that I've wanted (laughs) to win over this whole time. And now I get to do it. And I'm so drunk, and I'm so angry, and like, is that a bottle of wa- that's a bottle of just water, right? That he like chugs, yeah. 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 And yeah. it's like, even chugging water is to be like, I'm gonna straighten out just enough so that I could really experience what I'm about to do. And all of that moment of him being like, uh huh, oh, I'd love to do, uh, I'd love to do business with the with the Church of Sunday. Yes, uh huh. What do you want? All of that. To only have that moment of it's all been drilled is so perfect. <laughs> it's so good and it's written so deftly. It's an incredible scene. Like I watched that third act several times more than the entire movie itself. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, when I first moved out here, I was living with my sister and brother-in-law, and they, uh, my brother-in-law works for Dish, so he has like all of the movie channels you could ever want. And for whatever reason, There Will Be Blood was in, like, somewhat heavy rotation. And uh, I never was able to catch the entire thing. And also, it was, like, in standard definition. And I was like, I'm not going to watch this fucking gorgeous movie (laughs) not in HD. Um, But if I ever was flipping channels and saw that there was only about 30 minutes left of the movie, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm in. I'm going to watch these (laughs) last 30 minutes because this is, like, maybe my favorite ending of any movie, like, ever it's so perfect yeah <clears throat> and the transition to 1927 um of the of both kids jumping off that little porch and just mm-hmm. hanging out together yeah to cutting immediately to their wedding is like sh- so like shockingly profound in it in it's like yada yada yadaing of the rest of their relationship but it's you um, automatically know what their life was like because of how they handled each other as kids and it's such like a a moment of like actual like beauty in a movie of so much like violence and anger and ugliness that like just them finding each other and her learning sign language to like really be a partner to him mm-hmm. is so beautiful and having that be 1927 and being like oh shit <laughs> like where are we going to go now that like he's part of the Sunday family and we don't know what happened to Daniel yet um that that transition to the third act of 1927 is one of my favorite like moments and it also goes to show that daniel never learned sign language yep yeah which is another thing i actually thought because uh sign language was not uh like widely respected as the language for people in the deaf community and it was very like until the like 70s or later um where it was still, like, you were expected to lip-read and to, like, pretend like you could just go along with conversations and, like, oh, you don't need to know another language for me. I'm just going to try to, like, exist within your hearing world. So to see that in early, like, in 1918 or what year? 1920? No, 19... What was the main story taking place? Uh, I think 1911. So, like sign language being the way that he was communicating back then does kind of like offer up that Daniel sent him to a fairly ahead of its time school to like 
learn this, or at least a tutor that can, like, help him with this language. But it does create this gap between him and his son where he's like, oh, I don't even, like, I can't have a conversation with you without this mediator here. And, like, that drives me crazy because that's another failure in his mind that he let his son become deaf at the well. And so it's like a constant reminder of, like, you lost this one. You lost this one. Your plans for this kid changed. You lost. Uh, it's the same uh, interpreter in 1911 as 1927. I, th- I thought that was true. That's it, awesome. They never really focus on the interpreter in, like, the 1927. Like, he's just kind of, like, there in the background. So it was hard for me to tell. But that's fun. Um, yeah. And that's also, like, a, another person, another father figure instead of Daniel that, mm-hmm. like, has been replaced. And he does it, and you could tell when he's, like, in 1911 or whatever and doing the sign language at the drill, at the drilling well, that, like, he's a sweet person and, like, gentle with H.W. And to, like, imagine them having this relationship of, like, interpreter uh, and, like, H.W. is so kind of heartwarming. That whole H.W. story is, like, very sweet, and I love how it ends because he wins because he gets to leave and he doesn't even care. I love H.W. Another line that's really funny in the end is when he yells at Eli to stop crying, you sniveling ass. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Stop crying, you sniveling ass. He's just, like, chasing him around the bowling alley, and he's, like, doing that weird, like, dance kind of, like the the he movements can't walk that he, by the end yeah like yeah. the movements you thought that your song and dance <laughs> so good and <laughs> just I, screaming i am the third revelation is like <laughs> one of the best moments of any movie of just i am the third revelation i am the third revelation <laughs> i also there's a line earlier in the movie i can't remember the exact context where he just goes i'm going to bury you underground eli <laughs> When he smashes his face in the mud, when he oh, drags yeah, him it. out, and then yeah. pushes his face in the mud. I love that. It <laughs> escalates so quickly. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh my god. Also, uh, this is from earlier in the in the Henry uh, fake brother story, but the moment that he realizes that Henry's not from Fond du Lac, because his it, whole face he, changes. Yeah, and yeah. it's a moment of like, wait a minute, wait. Okay. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. I'm very, very mad. And like just going in the water and staring at him, like, okay, what's the plan? What are we going to do? Is so, it's just one of the most underrated like performance moments of the movie. Is him, he's not even purposely trying to bait Henry, unless he is, but he like keeps saying stuff, expecting a reaction. And when he doesn't get it, that moment of like, what? What, did I get one? O- did someone get one over on me? It was I- the peach tree dance. He doesn't know what yeah. it is, and he repeats it twice, and both times Henry doesn't register, and then he's just like, are you fucking kidding me? And then like yeah. they go to the brothel or bar or whatever it is later, and he's just staring dead-eyed. <laughs> and, he's a- and Henry's asking for money, which yeah. is like, oh, bad time to ask me for money, Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Henry. The, the just... The close-ups on Daniel Day Lewis's face for the like all of those sequences right there, like that shot where it's just like, 
you it's kind of like over Henry's arm, but you, you're like mostly seeing Daniel's face and he like looks down and then he looks back and he has that like wait a second. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. fact that the camera just stays on him while we watch him process all of that is so incredible. And then the fact that the camera just keeps focusing on his face throughout all of the rest of that stuff where he's just stewing mm-hmm. in that like anger slash trying to figure out like, all right, how am I going to like how am I going to fix this situation is just like fantastic filmmaking, like both on like the PTA side and just like Daniel Day Lewis, like watching his face. You're just like, yeah, I'll do this all day. Uh, did I have, I had something else. Oh, uh, I think the, the two main, uh, like, I don't even know the word, not organizations, but like teams basically, in this movie are like religion and capitalism and it's very interesting very american and now in our current political climate both of those are aligned with each other of these like in this movie they're at odds because one is about like i want to just get money that's all i care about and the other one is i want to become uh somebody people listen to and that but like for example, in the out ghost or get out ghost uh, oh, whole scene, oh it's such a performance. I hate and that scene. At no point do you believe that he has any sort of spiritual powers or it believes anything he's saying. And it's so stupid to watch him perform like that. And then last week, there was a, like a, a, a televangelist who, like, on television was like, I say, get out, COVID! Get out of here! Be gone! (laughs) And is screaming, and he's like, the great wind of God will take you away, and we will... You are gone now! We cast you out! And to be like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't anything. You're not doing anything. And to, like, see that in this film as, like, another false prophet versing corporation... like an oil corporation that's built on like stealing land and just draining the earth of everything that's good to see those two halves be so vicious to each other in this movie and realize that now they're together as the Republican party. And I don't care if this podcast gets political, (laughs) but like that energy and religion are like intrinsically tied to, or not even industry, not even a energy, but just like, corporate interest and uh, I mean fossil fuel industry and this like devout conservative religion. Yeah, I was going to say I would specify like evangelical religion. Yeah. Because like uh, there's loads of other religions in the US that don't (laughs) behave this way. (laughs) Right. But yeah, this kind of this kind of like I, I can I am God's like chosen special person who you you're not ill. I can heal you. Like I can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how quickly that those same people will be hypocritically shown as hypocrites. And that's shown by Eli that's saying good. I'm a false prophet and God is a superstition because all he wants is money. All yep. he wants is, is more money and more power. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting thing that like in this movie, they're at odds, but in the real world, religious interests and, uh, the fossil fuel industry are very much uh, probably in each other's pockets. Uh, That's all. <laughs> are we moving on to tattoos? 
Well, no, I'm not, I'm not ready to go there yet. Although, I do think that there will be a, a decent segue when we get there. Um, one other quick thing, if we... I just <laughs> When we first meet Henry, and he's just, like, standing on the front porch, and Daniel's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm your brother from another mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery is beautiful. It's just like, oh, chef's kiss. But also... As I was watching it, I'm just imagining PTA, like, at home, on his typewriter, because, like, he, I feel like he writes these scripts on typewriters. I don't know if that's He writes them not, on just... Word documents and doesn't format them. He Or formats them all manually. That actually... that Madness. That, that checks out. Yeah. Madness. <laughs> I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, typewriter. That's, like, fun and quaint. But, like, no, him doing that instead sounds way more appropriate. <laughs> but just anyway, I'm just, really like... really 90s. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, imagining him sitting at his computer on his Word doc with that line just, like, giggling to himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Can picture think... very vividly. <clears throat> Henry also represents the exact group of people that Daniel keeps talking about of like, oh, you just want to come in and take what other someone else has done the hard work of finding. And like, you just want to benefit off of that. And he keeps like saying that about every other oil person. And I think that's what hurts him most about realizing that this guy keeps getting money from him is that he like, he didn't do any of the work and he gets to benefit of everything that Daniel has. And I think that's what like, drives him crazy he's like oh you got through you're one of the people that i hate so much and you got in now you're next to me i gotta kill you what is um, interesting do you think henry always had that in mind it's like i'm gonna try and get in or do you think he genuinely was just like like oh, i yeah, don't like I, him so well, i don't I like have him just gotten either. a job he could have just applied for a job if he was looking for an yep. honest job but he stole an identity in order to be intimately close to also Daniel. that dude got killed in the mummy and ever since then he's just an <laughs> evil dude <laughs> i forgot that that was benji or whatever yeah I it was benji he's just like watched, one of the first to die i just watched the uh that movie like a couple weeks ago and when i was watching <laughs> this last night i was like why the fuck does he look so familiar <laughs> like <laughs> like i would say like 75 percent of the way through the henry plot line i was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> it's the eyes and um, that little mouth yeah with the like block teeth Ugh. yeah Ugh. Um, so tattoos no 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 we have to talk about <laughs> yeah we, we have to talk about the sequence where the gas blowout happens and the well explodes because I think that is one of the most mesmerizing sequences captured on film, at least mm-hmm. since the year 2000, if not longer. Like, that entire, like, 10-minute segment of this movie <clears throat> is so tense and shot so beautifully, and the music is just incredible. Everything about that whole sequence is just this, like, operatic chaos and every single time it's on screen, my jaw is just, like, on the floor. And I would be remiss if we made it through an entire podcast and didn't spend at least, like, some small amount of time just, like, worshipping at the altar of PTA for giving us that sequence. I read somewhere, uh, I 
I don't know my source. I could be wrong. But the they were filming in the same location that No Country for Old Went for old men was filming that opening scene yes. with L- yep. Llewellyn where he's hunting and when they did the oil fire scene because of the amount of like smoke and black smoke coming from it uh, they ruined like a whole day's shooting for No Country for Old Men <laughs> because it was like it's supposed to be this wide expanse of nothing but like some antelope or elk or whatever it is and then instead there's just a giant fire in the distance <laughs> again I don't know I don't know my sources I but I also heard that exact story and god does it make me feel happy about, uh, about the, that exact situation <laughs> the level of good for there will be blood <laughs> the level of pettiness that you started this podcast off with <laughs> Which honestly, in a in a kind of meta sense, there will be blood. Was basically like Daniel Plainview. He was like, "I will snuff out the competition. I'll do anything I except, need to to ruin their life." Except he didn't, because they won. And that's and that's exactly what happens in this movie. Is that you know he lost, he he loses. Maybe I no, finished. No, I'm no finished. Country, no country. That's how we should sign off the podcast. Uh, no country for old men is HW and they win in the end. I don't like this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, that oil well scene, um, I think also just because HW has been a topic of this conversation, is like that's another moment where you're not exactly sure if Daniel isn't doing the right thing. Like he, he does attend to his son first. He like takes him out of there. He does seem concerned. I think like and I think the exact thing would be if a lesser skilled director and actor were doing this movie, it would have been so obvious to make him only focused on the well and only interested in how that was going. Yeah. And instead, most of the sequence in the beginning is just him getting uh, HW out of there far away and checking on him and realizing like something is wrong. And even when he's like, I'll be right back, I'll be right back. I mean, who wouldn't? have to run back to like if he didn't go back to the well it would just be a bad like boss he's the one who owns that well he should be the one making decisions and so like that move away like to leave hw also doesn't feel like a crime or a sin it's like yeah he's got to go like this oil well is exploding like you gotta do something well there's that line where he's um talking to uh like like after they get it like it's not under control like it's still literally on fire but um where he's talking to kieran Hines' character who i can't remember his name right now but um he's like is is hw okay and daniel's just like no like he's not <laughs> you know like yeah. you can tell the way he delivers that line he's just like watching his well literally explode in front of his face while also dealing with the fact that his son is, like, probably not going to... I mean, like, he's physically fine, but, like, like this is probably going to be an issue for the remainder of his life. And just, like, watching all of this shit crumble in front of him at the same time while he's kind of, like, hunched over and just, like, fuck. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. really, really powerful. And even then, he, he's also surprising in that moment when they're, like, Everyone is concerned, and he's like, what are you so sad about? 
We've got a whole ocean of oil underneath us where he's like, shut up. Like, this is such a small setback. Stop acting like it's the end of the world. We're just going to move forward. And, like, the wave that he gives to the two dynamite carts that, yeah. like, move in from off frame, which is another shot that, like, I'll never forget. It's just, like, him sitting and just giving the wave and those two little sets of men. And it's the quietest explosion. Like, it just goes and it goes, poo, and it's over. And, like, this whole chaos that you were talking about with, like, those two carts, it's over. And it's just snuffed out. Oba. we can use that as a a jumping off point so i did not like there were no nothing jumped out at me for a tattoo idea i'd say milkshake or a derrick right so i mean like there are things but i also was just like maybe i just get like one of those frames from that uh, well explosion sequence like just pick my favorite frame and just do like a whole like face tat of just that what you could do is you could have a Derek drilling and then have it be like a little pipeline and then the pipeline turns into candy stripes and then goes into a milkshake <laughs> I like it that's fun <laughs> um, or I, I wonder if even uh, just a bowling pin with blood on it Mm-hmm. Oh, that could be fun too. A real wooden bowling pin, real subtle. Or a basket in a basket. Yeah, just a little <laughs> baby in a in a basket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also like I feel like the lines are the things that I love the most. I mean, I love. There are some visuals that I wrote down of just like him next to that horse in the green field near the bandy track. Yes, and they're pushing on him. There are so many incredible shots. But, like, that one is one that I forgot about where I was just like, oh, this is an incredible shot. And it feels like a PTA shot. Yeah. Um, but the lines, I think, are so important that, like, there's so many things that I, if I were to get a tattoo or you were to get a tattoo, it would be like, <laughs> you excuse could get, him, gentlemen, excuse me, gentlemen. <laughs> you could get, you could get, so you know how there's the there will be blood font? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should get I'm finished tattooed Ooh. on your dick shaft. So okay. that when we- <laughs> <laughs> no. <So. laughs> All right. <laughs> we were so on board. We were so on board. We were like, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I got you. Oh, God damn you. <laughs> so that's oh. what you're getting then, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Any other nuggets or tattoo ideas or... Nah. So we, we can play our, our favorite game about the Academy Awards. Matt already teased it. Uh, just real quick aside, 2007 was a really fucking good year for movies, you guys. One of the best. One of the best years. So many good movies came out that year. Holy shit. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. World's End? <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> is that the one that came that out came in out. 2007? Did one I come out? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> one came out my senior year of high school, so I think it was World's End cuz like I saw it with all of my friends in high school and I was like I have no idea what's happening in this movie. Oh god, yeah, that movie sucks, but like movie So here's slaps. best <laughs> God damn it. Um So here's what 
uh, There Will Be Blood was nominated for. Uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Editing. Uh, What did it win for? It won... Daniel Day-Lewis won for Best Actor, and it won for Best Cinematography. It didn't win for Sound? dare they. (laughs) (laughs) Although, to be... uh, It's... Uh, who won for adapted screenplay? No Country for Old Men. Yeah, so like that was no, but that was. It depends if you're looking at more of like a literal adaptation because this one is more like inspired by. Oil yeah, yeah. Versus Fair. like No Country for Old Men is like a literal adaption, and that's it, what is it? It is a good script, Matt. I was gonna say it's a I, great as, movie. <laughs> As much as Matt right. fucking hates it. I think No Country for Old Men is a fantastic movie. Um, I'm, like, There Will Be Blood should have won Best Picture. That's the best movie of 2007, and it's not even a question. But No Country for Old Men is a very good movie. Um, so I'm not mad that No Country won Best Adapted Screenplay, because I, I agree with you, Tierney. I think it's a very well-written script, and also if you're, like, if you're sticking to the definition of an adaptation that is more like I feel like HW should have been nominated for best supporting actor yeah I mean he definitely would have lost to Javier Bardem but oh yeah wow okay (laughs) (laughs) but I'd be fine with him being in there (laughs) um at least what if they were playing the opposite roles (laughs) (laughs) Javier Bardem as HW Plainview just laying on the ground going, uh... <laughs> and then HW just being like, how much have you ever lost in a, <laughs> yeah. in a going Call toss? Call it friendo. <laughs> Everybody's just like, wait, where are your parents? <laughs> also, HW has Anton, Anton Sugar's haircut, obviously. <laughs> so it's just a little, a little Javier Bardem in that little haircut next to... Which is just like a Lord Farquaad haircut. Yeah. And he's Um, like lugging that cattle prod around. Yeah. (laughs) He has to get a little step stool to shoot someone's forehead. (laughs) He's like trying to reach their forehead. They're like, what are you doing? He's like, wait, don't move. Don't move. Stay there. He has an extender that goes like this. (laughs) Oh, I would watch that movie for sure. Yeah. Um, when is when is PTA going to get his best director Academy Award? I don't know. He usually yeah. just gets uh, writing. I'm surprised he was actually nominated for directing because he never gets it. He didn't even get it for Phantom Thread, did he? I don't think so. They just give him writing. They're like, this will throw him a bone. And then he never wins. <laughs> so fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm so mad about it. So apparently uh, Fiona Apple's new album might be uh, inspired by her tumultuous relationship with PTA. And there's, Uh, did you see the one that was like, what'll put you off coke is being in a room with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino, both very high, talking about how much they love themselves. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, at one point, I guess, when he lost uh, adapted screen or original screenplay against Matt Damon and Ben Affleck for Goodwill Hunting when he had Magnolia, or Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. Boogie Nights was up against it. 
he threw a chair in a hotel room and Fiona Apple was like, it was violent. He was crazy <laughs> in that moment. So I knew that they dated, but I did not know all of the stuff about how like intense it was until like literally last night when I was just like happened yeah. to be like scrolling on Wikipedia. For and I was years like, too. Yeah. For like, they were together for like four or five years and apparently it was just like a shit show the entire time. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, no, uh, PTA did get nominated for Best Director for Phantom Thread. Oh, he did? Yeah. But he's never won Best Director, and that's a goddamn travesty. He so. personally has never won anything. His movies have won, but he's never won. It's so, it's so insane. I can't believe it, because I think he's genuinely the most talented, most consistently incredible director working right now. I Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen... I think just two of his movies. Punch uh, Drunk and Heart Eight. Yeah. He and but, Taika have never done flops. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, the movies of his that I have seen, there's, like, some are better than others, but none of them are bad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I'll, and I will say, Taika is incredible, and you're right that he hasn't had a flop yet, but I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson also makes movies that I've never seen anyone make before or after every time every time i watch one of his movies i'm like of course it had to be you you're the only one that could pull it off and there are moments that are just like i've i've never seen anyone come close to like it and it's all in acting which is crazy that he was he hasn't won best director because the performances that he gets out of people are so rich and like uh, thinking of all these crazy lines, and then thinking of Julianne's Moore's Julianne Moore's lines in uh, Magnolia, when she's like, "How dare you? How dare you judge me?" Like the moments of like true tragedy and like uh, really uncomfortable uh, like sadness and anger are so funny because they're written in these natural deliveries like everything is said in this kind of broken weird strange way that it it feels like all the same director behind it because it is and like it's he can get those lines to sound so good out of all the actors that he gives them to yeah here's a hot take uh inherent vice is what once upon a time in hollywood should be i agree no i agree with that So oh, yeah, I'll go. I'll get behind that. Just real quick. I think it's for, one of his best movies. For those of you who are listening to this, realizing that uh, podcast is not a visual medium, I just want to describe the scene that just happened. <laughs> Tierney, leaning very close to her screen, drops her hot take and immediately backs away, <laughs> retreats into the darkness of the studio. She's recording it just disappears and into she's like i'm gonna drop this bomb and then good luck to all y'all still sitting around <laughs> oh i do i tell it like it is guys what can i say to be I fair right though i think that's a fair claim i liked once upon a time in hollywood a lot more than either of you i think but i think that's I a fair it. that's a fair criticism though to be fair i definitely need to give inherent vice another shot because like i've seen it twice maybe three times um and every time i've watched it i've liked it more but i've never like like the first time i saw phantom thread i was like fuck yes the first time i saw the master i was like fuck yes 
first time I saw There Will Be Blood, I was like, what? And then, you know, 20 minutes later, I was like, fuck yes. But Inherent Vice didn't, like, immediately hit me in the same way that all of his other movies have. Oh, I love that movie so much. And I walked out of there being like, what a intricately woven plot that is. Where, yeah. like, you're always like, what is this? And then everything comes together, and you're like, Ugh. And <laughs> Thomas Pynchon's the man. I was going to say, you also have the, the Pynchon connection that I just do not have, because I've never read any of his novels. But Inherent like Vice is my favorite. Yeah, I like that PTA's, uh, like, uh, inspirations come from, in order, uh, gambling, pornography... Uh, broken families and game shows uh, like really abusive families to each other and like extreme social anxiety Uh, and then Scientology Thomas Pynchon Oil Oil by Upton Sinclair like being like oh I'm gonna make a movie about an Upton Sinclair book (laughs) like the stuff he and then yeah like uh, his most recent one was uh, Phantom Thread being just like Okay, let's let's do sewing and let's do like beautiful dresses. Oh, but that's a gothic romance. That's like Rebecca and that's Jane true. Eyre. I think he said he watched a bunch of Rebecca before making that, or he watched Hitchcock's Rebecca or something. I could be wrong. Yeah. Phantom Thread's another hilarious movie if you just like savor every line delivery and like the intention behind everyone's <laughs> words. Yeah, equally hilarious as. There will be blood. Um, Yee! Alright, so before we go, should we tease a little bit of what's what's coming next? So then each episode, one of us will be picking a movie either we haven't seen in a long time, we really like, or have been wanting to see, see wanting, wanting to see. And then uh, we'll all watch it and then discuss it. So a lot of it will be things that we've never seen before. And this is the natural uh, evolution and progression and only way that we can do a second version of our uh, 2018 uh, film festival that we held in our apartment uh, when we had a big projector set up and it was very fun. Uh, And so now we're doing it all digitally. So we're going to try to also make them streamable titles uh, that everyone can access at least whenever the episode goes up. Um, but also just making it something that uh, we can all kind of do collectively from our homes uh, during this insane quarantine time. But also after that, as soon as this is all over, whoever, whenever that is, we'll keep doing it. Uh, sweet. Oh, oh like, like what, what we're interested in. Yeah, yeah. Um. We we've learned that tyranny can't go first. So Matt, why don't you? <laughs> Let me think. I'm st- okay. So the the things that I'm still reading are uh, X Men, all the titles in X Men, which is excellent, uh, excellent. Uh, Infinite Jest, which I'm lit- I'm actually reading. I'm not just saying I am. Yes, I'm skipping some days, and yes, I'm only less than two hundred pages in, but I'm doing it, and I'm committed, and I think it's a fun book. And it's not as intimidating as it seems. Uh, intimidating not be- or bad? It's it's an excellent. <laughs> I am so uh, wrapped by it, um, and think it's like it's written in a way that I find very fun. Um, and I'm not a reader, and every day I wonder if I'm illiterate. And every day this book 
makes me feel like I might not be. Um, when, you, when you said that you've been skipping some days, at first I thought you were going to say, and I've been skipping pages. some pages. <laughs> it's a really no, good no, no. book. I'm, I only read select pages because sometimes it's boring and fuck it. So whatever. No, I am reading all the end notes and I'm having a great time. Uh, thanks for asking. Uh, but also, I have uh, the last thing I'll plug, and I think I mentioned it last week, but I've actually watched two episodes of Tales from the Loop. Uh, and I think it's like, uh, so much more surprising than I expected and uh, kind of hauntingly beautiful in a way that I don't think a lot of these other like sci-fi uh, kind of 80s set TV shows have been. Um, it's it's like a gorgeous and like very sad uh, show so far. And I love it. Nice. Um, I have mostly been spending the last week um catching up on a bunch of like tv shows that i've been meaning to watch so i finally finished silicon valley final season and it was like fine-ish um i started watching the new season of curb your enthusiasm and holy shit is that funny so good oh my god (laughs) um it only gets better every episode it's so good this season Yeah, so I'm only two episodes in so far, uh, but yeah, that's really funny. And uh, Better Call Saul is the best show on TV, and by the time this episode... Wow. (laughs) Yeah, there's my hot take for you. Although I'm not going to recede into the darkness, I stand by this hot take. (laughs) I mean, to Um, each their own. But yeah, by the time this episode goes up, uh, the fifth season will have ended. I don't know when it's going to pop up on Netflix, but... Y'all need to be watching that show because the uh, final season is probably in a year and a half from now, and it's going to be really fucking good. So that's that's what I've been up to. Um, as far as me, I finished. Uh, there were a couple of days, so I was reading those Martin McDonough plays, and then one of my classmates from grad school sent me his book, and so I was reading these like niche <laughs> stories from Western Ireland, and I was just like they were blending and my brain was like I don't know what's happening um, but now I've, I'm reading it's a collection of I think it's called No One Is Too Small To Make A Difference and it's a collection of speeches that Greta Thunberg has given oh bless um, her yeah which is pretty good uh, it really fires you up before you go to bed um, and then as far as shows go um, Insecure started last week oh yeah Oh shit! Uh, it was a great premiere. Uh, Run with Donald Gleason and Merrick Weaver also started. I enjoyed that. Uh, that was a really good pilot episode. It was, yeah. And I'm like so... most pilots suck. Yeah, <laughs> like, most pilots are like, oh yeah, this is this has potential. But that one, like from Jump, I was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm in here. <laughs> and then speaking of other great pilots, uh, my boyfriend recommended um, I watch Barry. Yes. And I watched the first oh, yes. episode of that, and it is so good. I cannot watch. I cannot wait to watch more of it. But I was like, how? How? How have I never watched this? It's about a an assassin who's taking acting classes. It's so- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one hundred percent your mo. It's so dark, but so funny, and Bill Hader is so good. Yeah, that was another one I finally finished because I had I watched all of the first season live, and then. I think the second season I watched like half of it and then just got behind and never got around to catching up. So I've been like very, very slowly catching up to it. And I finally finished season two and yeah, it's really fucking good. I'm so excited for the road ahead of me. 
Yeah. It's going to be a, a very, very wonderful, blessed road for you. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. But yeah, is that it? I think that's it. Matt, do you want to do you want to give us the sign off? Uh, sure. And I was also going to say, uh, as like a little bonus after our closing credits, can I just uh, do my version of the Daniel Plainview uh, monologue from the end of There Will Be Blood? Yes. And we'll just have it as a bonus ex- extra after we sign off. How about? Normally we say I'm finished, but then this time, to initiate it, you just give us the whole monologue. (laughs) Okay, fine. Oh, okay, and then because it ends. Okay, fine. So let me pull up the speech. I should have probably had it pulled up already. Uh, But... I can edit uh, this part out. Yeah. Okay, perfect. (laughs) I broke you, and I beat you. It was Paul who told me about you. He's the prophet. He's the smart one. He knew what was there, and he found me to take it out of the ground. And you know what the funny thing is? Listen, listen, listen. I paid him $10,000, cash, in hand, just like that. He has his own company now, a prosperous little business, three wells producing $5,000 a week. Stop crying, you sniveling ass. Stop your nonsense. You're just afterbirth, Eli. You slithered out of your mother's filth. You should be in a glass... Jar on the mantelpiece. Where were you when Paul was suckling at your mother's teat? Where were you? Who was nursing you, poor Eli? One of Bandy's sows? That land has been had. Nothing you can do about it. It's gone. It's had. You lose. Drainage, Eli! Drainage, you boy! Drain dry. I'm so sorry. Here, here, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw. There it is. That's the straw, so you see. Watch it. Now my straw reaches across the room. Now my straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Did you think your song and dance and superstition would help you, Eli? I am the third revelation. I am the one the Lord has chosen. I'm finished.